Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer. And Lord, we're asking that you would help us to worship you today in our singing. Lord, I pray that as I preach the sermon that I have this morning, that it would be a tool in your hands to lead each one of us to a greater understanding of what it means to truly worship God. Lord, let us not see worship as this strange thing that's just done on Sunday mornings, but as you would have it in your word, as you have ordained it, to be a part of every moment of our lives, Lord, that our lives would be a living testimony to the work of Almighty God. We ask that you would prepare us to take that testimony into the world in which we live this coming week. Lord, we commit ourselves to Thee, that we might bring glory to Your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Galatians chapter 3. Now, we just finished what we call the Ministry uh, Refresher Institute. That is a... uh, training session. It's sponsored by uh, Heartland Baptist Bible College, hosted by our church for pastors here in the east who can't travel the whole way to the campus of Heartland for a similar event, a much larger scale that they host every year on campus. But uh, one of the comments that Brother Copes made during the uh, time that he was here was Christianity is not a marathon. Now, we think of running the race and the long race and, and all of those things, but he said Christianity, our service for Christ, our uh, serving Christ is not a marathon. It's a relay. You see, Jesus never intended for each generation to be on their own in their service for Christ. I am so looking forward to October. Uh, it'll be our church's 20th anniversary, and, and uh, what we're going to be doing is uh, our main speakers, we're going to do something I don't know that we've ever done before. We're going to go Sunday through Sunday. Brother Clayton is coming in, and he's going to preach all day Sunday, and then Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday he's going to preach as well, but we're going to have Brother Hiram Davis come down because he's the first church planner out of our church organized. Brother Newberger's going to be here that week, and he's going to preach one of those nights as well, and... Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to try, you pray, I can get a hold of Brother Richard Johnson. He worked with us for the first two years uh, of our church's existence. And, and I want to get a hold of Brother Dice, who was here for about six months and, and before he went and started the church where he is now. And, of course, we got to have Brother Jose preach. Amen. And uh, Brother Saravia has been with us since 1997. But... He pastors his own church downstairs, Spanish-language church. And Brother Marshall was coming in Monday or Tuesday of that week. And when Brother Clayton leaves, 
Brother Marshall's going to start preaching through the next Sunday. And so uh, we're, we're going to have a lot of preaching. And, of course, uh, early on, I remember Brother Clayton's instruction to me and said, Listen, what you do to get people to come to church is what you're going to have to do to get them to stay in church. He said, so if you get some big, fantastic program and everybody comes because of the program, he said, they're all going to leave if you don't keep the program going. And uh, so right then and there, we, we I desired and, and the people that have been attending to make, what's church supposed to be about? It's supposed to be about the preaching and teaching of God's Word. I hope and pray that's the reason you're here today. That's what we've tried to be about as a church since our very beginning. And if God gives us another 20 years, I'll be up here in my little wheelchair and I'll have to turn the mic up a little. No, I hope I won't be in a wheelchair in 20 years. But uh, hopefully be doing exactly the same thing. There's a lot of warnings in the Bible about not quitting, not fainting, not growing weary in well-doing. That ye should all men ought always to pray and not to faint. But what do we do when the pressure turns up? Last night I was working and doing some things, preparation for today, and got ready to print the bulletins. Couldn't find the printer. Not that I had lost it, it was still sitting over here all the time. But when you put up that little screen and hit print, it says printer, not connected. And so I went over and turned the printer on and off to get it back to its default settings. Guess what? Didn't work. So I reset the computer. Didn't work. So I got the old-fashioned technology and hooked the wires up. And I found out that printer, you had to go in and tell it that it was connected to a wire. And once you told it, it worked. And you got bulletins. You know what? When we get under pressure... We go back to our default settings. And that's to trust the flesh and not the Lord. Let's look at Galatians chapter 3. Now, Galatia is an area that would be in modern-day Turkey. These were some of the first churches that Paul and Barnabas, one of the areas that they were with, that they had started, and Paul was writing back to them because there was a lot of confusion in the church. Some people who were uh, uh, still believing in the Old Testament wanted to believe the New Testament, Old Testament style. Now, the reason they did that is because they were... Jewish believers primarily, and it was very important 
in the Old Testament to be a Jew. In fact, if you weren't one physically, in order to believe and practice the Old Testament law, you had to become one socially, spiritually, economically. Every part of your life was controlled and in, in all parts, you even had to dress like they did. The Bible had all the rules that were there. And it was very hard for these people who had practiced these traditions. And yea, they were, yes, they were ordained by the Bible for centuries. But they couldn't see past the lesson that God was trying to teach. God had certain meats and foods that were unclean. Now, all of our health food people have gone through and checked these rules out. And you know what? You can't improve on the Bible. But just because you don't eat pork, does that make you holy? No. Doesn't work that way. But what God was trying to teach with these unclean animals is there are just certain things that are dirty and will bring bad things to you if you stay there and do these things. And so you need to look at the unclean things spiritually. You know, we live in a world where we're influenced so many ways and things that we're not even aware of at times. When I was a young man, I remember them teaching us that they had just recently banned this um, practice, like in the theaters and public places, they would be showing the movies and they would have to stop because the reel was only so big and change the reels. Well, what the guys at the movie theaters were doing is they were splicing just one or two frames. Popcorn. You couldn't even see it. You're, you're watching 60 frames a second, and one of those frames had a big picture of popcorn on it. You didn't see it with your eyes, but your brain saw it. And when the intermission happened, he said, man, I'm hungry. I'm going to go get some of that popcorn. That, that just sounds good. It was called suggest, subliminal suggestion. I'll tell you what, it doesn't have to be subliminal to be suggestion today. I mean, have you seen those great big billboards with the people smoking cigarettes on them? They're always happy. Well, except for the new ones that the mayors come out. Those are pretty gross. And, and I'm not for smoking. You understand that. The ones that just drive me crazy is the car commercials. You see this beautiful new car. And this guy that had to be photoshopped. I don't know if they can Photoshop digitally on film or not, but I mean, there's only one way you get looking like that, guys. And I'm not doing plastic surgery. I don't care how ugly I get. And then all these beautiful ladies crowd around him, and it all has to do with the car. 
Now, if you are dumb enough to believe that, but that's the message that is out there. You are supposed to be able to have it all. But what are you supposed to do with it once you get it? Ah, storage. All the commercials about storage places, right? Listen. We are trying to serve Christ. And we are constantly bombarded with distraction. We are constantly told that what we have in Christ is not near as good as what we could have if we would just go to the world and drink at their trough. And Paul is writing to the Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians, verse 1, chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain? If it be yet in vain. Now these are pretty harsh words. He says, you Galatians, you're acting like someone is controlling you. That's what the idea of bewitching means. It means to cast a spell on, to be not even cognizant of your own decisions. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have done something and said, why did I do that? Well, I just do it without thinking. No, you don't. You can't do anything without thinking. Your arm doesn't move unless your brain tells it to move. Unless you have some strange disease or something. But Paul is looking at the, Corinthians, uh, the Galatians here and he's asking them some questions. And I want us to look at Paul's questions and see if we can... Get some challenge, some motivation. First of all, he says, verse 2, This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He said, I got one question for you. How did you get saved? Did you get saved by what you did? Or did you get saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? If you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what the Bible says. When the Philippian jailer asked Paul, "What, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And thy house. It's good for anybody. All you have to do is believe 
on the Lord Jesus Christ. The only problem is mankind has made that rather complicated, have they not? I mean, if we were to go into the average church today and pull somebody out and just say, Hey, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, how is a person saved? How does a person know they're going? Well, nobody can really know that. Wait a minute. The Bible says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It says, For with the mouth confession is made. Oh, man, boy. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I said that wrong. Let me go back. Let's go to Romans chapter 10. My, my mind is not working right today. That's okay. We're going to not rely on the flesh. We're going to rely on the word. Amen. Verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I did say that right. Okay. Paul was saying, how did you get saved? Did you get saved by what you do, or did you get saved by believing the Word of God? I'm here to tell you today there's only one way of salvation. It's by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When he was on the cross, he said, It is finished. And every religious leader since that day has been trying to finish what Jesus Christ already finished. That's why we reject them. That's why we do not believe what they say. That's why we don't listen to them and give credence to them. Somebody said, but they were certainly great men. Well, let me tell you something. If you listen to what they say and end up in hell, how great is that? I don't think that's very great. But if I listen to Jesus, I can go to heaven. I think that's pretty great. That's why I want to believe in Jesus. And I often repeat this, and this morning I want us to spend the whole message on this thought. You got saved by believing on Jesus, why in the world do you think that you can accomplish anything for him by some alternative method? In fact, that's the second question here. Let's just move on to verse 3. He says, are ye so foolish? Now, that word foolish is a very powerful word in the Bible. How many remember what Jesus said about calling someone a fool in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, if you say to your brother, Raka, that would be like stupid idiot. You would be in danger of the council. Did you know that you could be civilly punished for calling someone a name in Jewish culture? And 
Jesus said, listen, you call someone a vile name, you call them, you impugn their character, they can take you to the judges and you're going to be punished. You're in danger of the council. But if you say thou fool, it says you'll be in danger of hellfire. Now here we have the Apostle Paul under the direction of the Holy Spirit of God writing a church and saying, you guys are acting like fools. That's what the word foolish means. Now Paul didn't use that lightly. He knew the import of that. He knew the danger of that word. What does the Bible define a fool as? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I remember years ago, I was walking to a bookstore, actually, to purchase something for the church. And saw these two guys outside the bookstore, and I heard they were talking about spiritual things. And I just walked on by, figured, oh, I'll let them. If they're still going at it, I'll, I'll, I'll intervene when I come back and... Of course, they were still going at it, and I could tell that the, the guy who was trying to witness to the other man was not getting the best of the conversation. And so I figured, well, I'll, I'll just step in here and see if I can help this guy out a little bit. And uh, so I said, what's going on? He said, oh, he's trying to convince me that, uh, that there's a God in heaven. He said, but I believe in the saints. I said, really? What saint do you believe in? He said, I'm glad you asked. I believe in St. Mark's. I said, you got to be kidding me. He says, yeah, Karl Marx. I said, that's interesting. I said, did you know the Bible has your name printed in it? He looked at me. He said, no. I said, the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And Karl Marx said, there is no God. If you believe what he is, that makes you. And he says, well, I don't believe there's a God. I said, well, that's your name too then, right? Amen. You see, that's a fool. Someone who does not believe in God. But just knowing there's a God doesn't get you to heaven, my friend. You must engage in a personal relationship with God, but on His terms, not yours. That's how you get saved. You surrender everything you are And you ask God to save you, and he will. So then why do we who are saved live as if there is no God? You say, well, how do I do that, preacher? Well, it's very easy. When a financial problem comes up, what do you do? I'll call the credit card company for an increase in the credit line and we'll get through this thing. And, and uh, I'll call my uncle. He's got money. He'll give me a loan. 
And if we put all this together, I, I can solve this problem. Well, did you pray about it? Better yet, did you pray about the purchases that you made that got you in trouble? Maybe the Lord would have directed you not to do those things and to keep out of trouble in the first place. Amen? Amen? You see, we often find ourselves living the Christian life as if God doesn't exist. I want to challenge you. That's foolishness. You got saved. If you have Bible salvation today, you got so by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else. By placing yourself at his mercy. And again, the definition of mercy is not kindness. The definition of mercy is direction received from the victor by the vanquished. It is when you lose the battle and you plead for mercy. The one who wins then gives you direction and you follow it. Not just under duress because you lost. But because of love, because that person is allowing you to have your life. Probably the best example in modern history of mercy was what happened in the nation of Japan after the end of World War II. The vanquished laid prostrate at the feet of the victor. And the United States went in and rebuilt that country. And 60 years later, the most powerful nation in the entire Eastern Hemisphere, now China's coming up. But let me tell you, Japan is a testimony to what mercy and how it can work. They are our dearest friends in the east. How did that happen? Because mercy works. Let me tell you something. When you surrender to God, you don't have the right to redraw the treaty later. That's foolishness. That's why Paul says, Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Do you think that God is going to be pleased with human effort and human endurance and human ability when He made you give up and surrender all of that to get saved? Wrong! Every day is a day of re-surrender. I'm not much into horses. I mean, I think they're beautiful in pictures and all those things. And I'm not against riding horses and all of that. I'm, I, I think it's a wonderful thing for you. Uh, if I have a choice, I prefer horsepower. 
But uh, Brother Clayton told me, he said, every time you ride a horse, he said, you have to break that horse again. You have to show the horse that you are in charge. If you're not, the horse is going to do what it wants to do. And I, I've watched horses try to rub people right out of the saddle by walking up against the fence. And knowing where the low branches are and walking under them, just see if they can knock you off. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't specifically care for that kind of battle. Uh, but the simple thing is, there's an awful lot you and I can learn from the horse. Because we act that way a lot with God. And we need to be rebroken every day. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross. What's the next word? Daily. Daily. And follow me. Look at this last verse here. Verse 4. Have ye suffered... So many things in vain, if it be yet in vain. Now, I want to be careful here because I don't want us to get heading in the wrong direction. But basically, Paul's saying, Have you come this far in your service for Christ to quit now? If you've been saved any period of time, you could look at things in your life that have caused pain. That's what the word suffering means. Because or for the purpose of identifying as a Christian or serving Christ. We have all had to make decisions that have caused us difficulty. It's a lot harder living in New York City than it is in Oklahoma, isn't it, Jason? I mean, that's just one decision that was made. We make decisions for the cause of Christ. Some of you have suffered Reproach from your family. Some of you have suffered financial setbacks because you won't do things the way the world does things. You want to be honest as you can and, and do things biblically. People have suffered reproach and, and uh, uh, have others think less of you as a person and demean your character because you have made decisions based on the word of God. And Paul is saying, listen, Galatians, you've suffered, you've come this far. Is it vain? Is it for nothing? You see, the Bible tells us that there's lots of people in, the jud in judgment day that are going to say, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in thy name? Those are preachers. And in thy name, done many miracles and many wonderful works. 
I'm not impressed by what a person does or what they claim or what they accomplish because in those verses, Jesus said all those people are going to be standing on the wrong side of the judgment seat. Scary thing. It would be a vain thing to live as a Christian all your life and never truly have the faith inside. But people do it. The Bible's very clear about that. That's why John said they went out from us because they were not of us. We believe in what we call eternal security, in what people have called the perseverance of the saints, that you cannot lose your salvation once you have it. The reason you can't lose your salvation is because you didn't earn it. Jesus did. He's the one that keeps it. But let me tell you, you can lose everything else. You can lose your testimony. You can lose the ability to tell other people about Jesus because of what you've done. That'd be a pretty terrible thing, wouldn't it? I can name names of men I went to Bible college with and trained in the ministry with and served in their churches when I was traveling with Brother Clayton, who today couldn't stand in a pulpit, couldn't take the offering, and there's a few of them I hope never get out of jail. You say, you know some pretty horrible people by... Praise God, that's not the majority of the people I know. But I do know some that have stood where I stood. And let me tell you, much better preachers than I am who've lost it all. Now, I can't judge salvation. The Bible says that's not my job. That's God's. But Paul's saying... You've come this far. Are you going to throw it all away so that you can trust in the flesh instead of in the Savior? That's pretty vain. That's pretty empty now, isn't it? You can't lose your salvation. But if you turn your back on that simple faith in Jesus Christ, you lose everything else. Just want to tell a story. Kind of illustrate where we're going here and hopefully we'll be able to tie this up. About 149 years and 13 days ago, this event happened. It's during the Civil War, July 2nd, 1863. The battle was the Battle of Gettysburg, one that we've all heard about. There was a group called the 20th Maine Volunteers. They had been given instructions to hold the end of the Union line. Now, what that meant was 
the Union Army was stretched out across Cemetery Ridge, and one end of that ridge ended at a place called Little Round Top. Why? Because it was just a little round hill. And the other end went up the other way. The day before, there had been a skirmish on the far end, and on this day... General Lee had given orders to take Little Round Top because if they could mount Confederate artillery there on Little Round Top, they would be able to pour um, a fire right down into the center of the Union lines and scatter the Union army and the battle and the war would be won. It was Colonel Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain some of you may have heard that name, was the commanding officer of the 20th Maine Volunteers. They were to hold Little Round Top. They faced assault after assault of Confederate troops. They were running low on ammunition. Every time the Confederates would break the charge and back up and prepare to come again, he would close in the line a little tighter and and draw back a few more feet to give them a little more advantage. But they didn't have enough ammunition to withhold another charge. If the Confederates came up the next time, they would overrun that position and have the possibility of taking that little hill there with disastrous results. For the Union Army. Now the scholars want to argue about whose responsibility it was to give the order. But Colonel Chamberlain was in charge. He was later awarded the Congressional Medal of of Honor, our nation's highest military decoration, for telling his men to fix bayonets and charge the army that was charging them. I want you to understand something. Their position was lost. Their ranks had been decimated. They did not have the ammunition to withstand another charge. And so they charged. And when the Confederates saw the gleaming bayonets and heard the cries of the American, of the Union soldiers as they came running down the hill at them. They immediately thought reinforcements had come in and that they were in the hopeless position and they ran down the hill and many of them were taken prisoners and their commanding officer was actually wounded and died a few days later. And the day was won. Because Colonel Chamberlain followed his orders. He was told to hold the ridge, to keep the enemy off of it. And so when he ran out of ammunition, he decided to run the enemy off, literally. I like that guy. How about you? You know what? I don't know about you, but everything that's been going on this summer, I'm getting a little tired. Ammunition's getting a little thin. And I'm sitting here going, 
I need some encouragement. How about you? Charge. Let's not back up. We got where we are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. How about we get up tomorrow believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? We don't need to pull back and tighten the lines anymore. We don't have enough men. It won't do us any good. It's time to fix bayonets and move forward. That's what God has called us to do. Amen? And praise God it's not a real bayonet. Praise God our battle is spiritual and not physical. It's no less real. It's not always easy in the middle of the battle to be able to think clearly about our orders and what we're supposed to do. That's why you must train yourself to listen to the commander. That's why you must keep doing what you have been trained to do by the Word of God. It is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what works. It's the only thing that works. Somebody tells, I I hear stories often of people saying, but I, I have people plotting against me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do the things the Bible says. And you'll find out they'll either join you or leave you. But they can't stop you if you're obeying Christ. Amen? You know what Jesus is good at doing? Forgiving sin. Why does he forgive your sin? Not so you can go do it again, but so that you can go forward. Charge. Amen? I guess I should say, charge! That sounds a little better, right? The simple truth is, everybody that's in this building is because someone told you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, if we want more people in this building, we better go tell more people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? How many of you can give testimony? We don't have time this morning. We do that on Sunday nights. But how many of you could give testimony to something that God has done in your life since he saved you? I know that's pretty broad, but just raise a hand. Give testimony to the Lord that you could... I can tell you about something God has done in my life. Well, how many of you could say something about God has done in my life since last Sunday? Oh, it gets a little scary then, doesn't it? But it doesn't need to be that way next Sunday. If we'll charge instead of retreat. Don't go back on the defaults. 
When you get weary, you're not going to rest in the flesh. You must rest in the Savior. Amen. You must look to Him. He's the only one that can keep us. I like Colonel Chamberlain. I just like the way he approached life. By the way, I'm not 100% sure of this, but he may have been encouraged in this decision by some guys like Joab and David and some of these people in the Bible who did exactly what he did that day. I love stories about real people because they're more fantastic than the ones you can make up. But I would like some real stories about our church and what goes on in the lives of our people. Because, you see, we got where we are by trusting Jesus and we're going to go where he wants us to go by trusting Jesus. We're not going to get there in human effort or human flesh. It's not vain when you serve the Lord and all God's people said. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, I pray that the thing we remember most from this sermon is not what Colonel Chamberlain did, but what Jesus would have us to do. And that we would not back up and falter and just wait for the enemy to come, but we would move forward for you. That we would just believe you. That we'd be more obedient to your word. Lord, the sermon this morning couldn't be more generally focused than it is. I'm praying, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would have time in these few moments as we come to the invitation of our service to specifically target individual lives and individual things in those individual lives. Sins that need victory over. Disobedience that needs confessed and forsaken. Unbelief that needs brought to an old-fashioned altar and left here. Passions that need to be conquered. Pride that must be buried at the foot of the cross. Lord, we cannot go back. But we cannot go forward unless it is under your specific direction and empowerment. We ask that you would work today. That this time of invitation would be a time of true worship where we would surrender ourselves to the mercy of the victor. And that we would take your direction into our hearts and add a heart of love and respect for what you have done, follow you.
till you call us home. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation.